0: For our Bible study this morning that we would like to continue in Mark chapter 14, I'm going to ask you to join me in Mark chapter 14. If you have those sermon notes that were sent to you via email, then pull those out and we are going to be dealing with uh, Mark chapter 14, a segment of the scriptures that is very small compared to the bigger story. And that happens frequently. A lot of small things that all of a sudden carry a lot of weight. We know that's true a virus so small can upset society as a whole. I remember looking back in my life on some small, seemingly insignificant event that had tremendous impact on my life. It was as I was working at my dad's gas station and I was talking with one of the teachers who stopped I gave gas to the uh, the man pumped the gas he came inside we're talking and I wasn't born again at the time but I've been hearing the gospel in the recent days and this man this teacher I knew was a born again individual and all of a sudden out of my mouth I blurted out some profanity and he looked at me and never said anything but just shook his head and just said you don't have to talk that way and use God's name in vain that way That small significant statement in the bigger course of things seemed so uneventful, but I still remembered it. And it had tremendous impact on me. I remember when we were first saved and my dad was injured, couldn't help do some of the projects around the house. We were digging a ditch down through our yard to the well at the house that they were just building. And the well had the ditch had collapsed, my dad broke his leg, and we still needed to get finished because the plumbers were coming within a few days and laying the pipes. So I was out there with my brothers and we were working. And the pastor from the church that we had just gone to, at a Bible-believing Baptist church there a few miles away that we had gotten saved and he was investing in us and doing Bible studies, he came out one evening and he was working there helping us to shovel. Now in Minnesota in the evening, all of a sudden around dusk, it's mosquito territory. And you can hear them coming out of the woods and up from the lake. And we were working, trying to get this thing done because they were coming to lay the pipes. And I remember clearly working and complaining, complaining, complaining about all the bugs. But Pastor Campbell never said a word. Never a word of complaint. Just kept on working, 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 slapping the bugs, but never. That simple response that he had, seemingly so insignificant, had a tremendous impact and influence on my life. There's a passage of scripture that seems so simple and insignificant, and it's basically couched in between some really big stories and big events. It's put in between the Lord's Last Supper and then his arrest in Gethsemane. It's just a few verses But boy, are they impacting. Tremendously significant in what they say and what they do. I'm going to jump down, Mark 14, and just read here in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said unto them, to his disciples, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee." But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, That this day, even this night, before the cock crows twice, You shall deny me three times. But he, Peter, spoke the more vehemently, If I should die with you, I will not deny you in any way or any wise. Likewise also said they all. Again, small insignificant verses often overlooked, but boy, are they potent. It's the event where Jesus is walking that evening and going into the garden of Gethsemane. And as he's going, he has this conversation that teaches us three important truths. One, be careful. You and I need to be careful. And the reason being is this, we are not as spiritually strong as we think we are. In this text, the disciples thought that they were invincible. They were invulnerable to attacks of discouragement and defeat, but they weren't. You see, the setting is, as I already mentioned, it's that Thursday evening, they have already finished what we would call the Lord's Supper, and they're headed for what we would call that area of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, remember, in that mealtime had already said, one of you will betray me, and they said, is it me, is it me, is it me? And then right after he made that comment, according to John 13, Judas leaves the meal. Jesus goes on and introduces what we would call the communion by saying, this is this you is know, my body, this is my blood, take it, drink it, and eat it. And so he introduced that. After the meal, they leave and they head towards what, the Mount of Olives and to that area where the Garden of Gethsemane was. And in route, there's a conversation that takes place. And Jesus just simply says, he says, all of you are going to be offended. Literally, all of you are going to fall or you're going to desert, uh, <laughs> desert me. Uh, not desert, but desert. And you're going you're gonna to fail me this evening. And then the disciples, their response is, they argue with Jesus. They, they debate Jesus at this moment. Yeah, and, and, and they make it very clear that they, they, they think it's impossible for them to stoop that low. In fact, when Jesus said that one of you is going to betray me, we read back up a little bit further in that situation that after he made the comment during the Passover meal, during that communion meal, verse 18, one of you will betray me. And it says they began to be sorrowful. Oh, they were moved. They were emotionally grieved that Jesus would betray that one of them in the room could betray. But then their response was, is it, I? is it I? And in the original language, it's very clear that none of them expected a positive answer. Basically they say I'm not the one that's going to betray you, am I? I'm not the one that's going to betray you, am I? And they all were fairly confident that it was somebody else, but it wasn't one of them. They thought that they were going to be, to be loyal to Christ. In fact, as they march out and Jesus says, and even though it's Jesus speaking to them, even though he's quoting scripture, like, he's, like we read there in, in verse 27, where he's quoting from Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7, Peter argues Peter says, I won't, although all shall be offended, I won't, I won't. And Jesus even tells him in verse 30, he says, "Uh, Peter, you will, you're going to do it. And and Peter says, no, I won't. I'm spiritually stronger than the others, although I I, I can accept Jesus that these others would probably stumble and fall, yet not I. In fact, I'm going to die with you. I, I will never fail you in any way, shape or form. And here he is. Impassioned Peter, speaking even though he's been told by Jesus twice you're going to fall, he is just absolutely insistent he will never, ever, ever, ever stumble. He is not as spiritually strong as what he thought he was. In fact, let's draw some conclusions. Okay? He's not the only one who thought this. All of them were just as insistent. Despite Jesus speaking, despite the fact that he quoted scripture, they were all filled with pride. Personal pride that said to them that we are spiritually stronger than what we really are. Hey, can I suggest this to you, to think this through? Pride often keeps us from acknowledging our own flaws, our own weaknesses. Let me suggest something else. Pride often keeps us from quickly yielding to the Lord, quickly doing what he says or accepting what he has said. Let me give you a third thought. Pride tends to lead us to insist on our own way of thinking. (laughs) Think about what happens in our homes. There might be some of those conflicts, those disruptions, those tensions. Usually they come because we're insistent on our way and not listening to what others may be saying. We learn another lesson. Pride leads us to find fault in others while blinding us to our own faults. Hmm, didn't Jesus talk about being careful that you see the splinter in somebody's eyes but you don't see the beam in your own eye? Pride is really dangerous. Pride is a problem. I mean, we could give example after example how you might come home from work and you're talking about how you can't understand why the boss got so quickly upset and he raised his voice and then just that moment, you turn around and you yell at the kids and you stun them with your anger. You can see and criticize the boss, but what about you? Oh, we can easily, we can question the concern, the compassion, the character of some other Christian who wasn't as friendly as what we thought they should be, who wasn't as outgoing, who wasn't acknowledging what, you know, me or, or, or mine when we ran into them or when we're at church or even by by just not contacting us. And instead of going to that individual, we start telling others. And we, because we're too proud to go to that individual and confront but rather, we'll give in to gossip and don't even see our own gossip as being wrong. Huh. It's easy. You see somebody at school that you say, Ah, oh, they're, they're just full of themselves. They, they think they're better than the rest of us. And then, somehow, someway, you get it into every conversation that day about the points you scored or your good grades. Pride is really subtle. And pride is a problem. And it's a difficulty that each and every one of us needs to realize. That if we allow that pride to keep us blinded and allow it to dictate, man, disaster can strike. Take Peter. Take Peter. He's, uh, well, let's, let's back up. Let's take Haman, first of all. I'll get to Peter in a second. Haman was so proud of his position, he determined he'd get rid of Mordecai and the Jews, and then he builds the gallows to destroy them. Hm, what happened to Haman? He ended up on his own gallows. King Sennacherib comes and invades the Jewish territory. He says, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. And the passage says he's boasting about how he will carry away all the temple furniture and all the gold and the items and the properties and the wealth of the temple. But that very night, God sends an angel and 180,000 of his army are destroyed. And now, thinking about Peter... Peter is saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. And Jesus even challenges him, and he doesn't back down. Lord, I, 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 you know, though these others do it, I will die with you. I will never, ever, ever betray you, stumble, fall, deny. And yet we know. We know exactly what happens. That Peter fell, and he fell deeply. Careful not to act in pride. Listen to the Spirit of God when it speaks to you. Hey, be careful that you don't avoid and insisting on, or you don't absolutely insist on doing your own thing and everybody listening to you. Avoid that. Avoid that. Learn to find the peaceful solutions between you and family members, neighbors, and put aside the pride. We need to be very careful that you and I don't assume that we've overcome and that we will never struggle with things that the Bible says all of us struggle with. We all struggle with our tongue, with our speech. We all struggle with our flesh. We all struggle with a critical attitude, a pompous attitude, uh, an attitude of judging others too quickly. Those are problems that the New Testament talks about even the mature believers having a difficulty with. You and I need to be careful. That we don't become so proud that, hey, I'll never have marriage or family problems because I'm here. Listen, it takes time and investment for every one of us in order to maintain good family relationships. Be very careful. You don't become proud to the point that you say, listen, I don't need time in prayer. I don't need time in the Word of God. I've got this Christianity down pat. You and I need to be going to the Lord every single day in humility, seeking his help, understanding that in our flesh we are extremely weak. But through Jesus Christ and him alone, we can do what's right and be be right before him. Be careful of the pride. Because you and I, I learned this lesson, we are not as spiritually strong as we think we are. That simple lesson out out of this little few verses, but there's another one. Not only do we need to be careful, can I suggest this as well? Be confessing, be confessing, be quick to confess, to repent of sin. For we cannot hide the things from God as often as we think we do, the way way we think we can. I'll take the example out of this same passage of one of the disciples, Judas. We just mentioned him briefly in trying to wrap up last session But Judas is at this time, God already determined in his mind that he was going to betray Jesus Christ. We already saw in the last session that he had determined to make a deal already on Wednesday evening. And now here we are 24 hours later. He's already gotten the money. And Jesus says at that last supper at 24 hours later, he says, one of you is going to betray me. But they all said, it's not me. Jesus knew that it was Judas. Jesus understood that he had already do it. But, but Judas is going to feign innocence. He's going to be just like the others. He's going to feign sorrow. He's going to pretend. He's going to even ask, it's not I, it's not me, is it, Lord? As if he's got Jesus completely duped, completely fooled. No matter what Judas said, Jesus knew of his guilt. Jesus knew that he had done wrong. And instead of confessing, he is persisting, that he's hidden what he is doing from Jesus Christ. All the lessons are clear. You and I, we never hide anything from God. God always knows what we do, whether it be in the open or whether it be in the secret. Time of our own house, car, bedroom, or in some other place that we think nobody sees, God sees. God sees at all moments. And when we have done wrong and refuse to repent, It'll just consume, grow, get bigger, and it will all of a sudden become destructive. You and I need to repent. As quickly as the Lord points something out into our lives, as he brings a question, did you do that? Did you say that? Did you treat that person that way? Repent quickly. As soon as possible, make confession. Make confession. Failure to repent and confess. Oh my, look at Judas. How far he fell. Yeah, he fell against the Lord. You know, I'd ask this question of my own self as I thought about this. If I knew, if I found out that there was some contamination of the COVID-19, what would I do? What would we do in our house? Well, we would react the way many of you would react. We would all of a sudden say that small little contamination, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to sanitize. We've got we've to clear out. We've got to keep away from that thing or that item or that person that may have that virus. And so that's the way we would react and everybody would say it's appropriate. But as a Christian, do you react the same way when some COVID-19 of sin and temptation comes into your life? Do you respond quickly when you have lied by repenting and cleaning things up? When all of a sudden you lost your temper because at home this week it got a little bit tense, too close of quarters, tension was growing, you're getting tired of each other and seeing only each other. And all of a sudden you spoke harshly to a sibling, to a child, to a parent, did you repent? You need to. We need to confess quickly. Oh, let me ask this. We're, we're now into a realm of doing a lot of communication on our computers, our laptops, our iPhones. We're doing a lot of things that, that are totally acceptable right now spending a lot more time because of school or because of work that we're on those devices. But what happens while you're on those devices? And all of a sudden you're tempted to look at something that is inappropriate. Did you confess it? Did you repent of it? Did you respond quickly to get it out of your life? Oh, what about this? Things are getting tighter financially. People are getting laid off. Things are are all of a sudden down to one income or no work at all. Have you maintained financial integrity? Are you still honest in what you are what you're dealing with, the way you're paying the bills, the way that you're reporting income, the way that you're having to handle some of the pressure and tension. Remain financially honest. And if you've budged away from that, immediately, immediately respond and say, hey, listen, I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to make sure I take care of this and make it right. Selfish tendencies, Boy, oh boy, at this time of day, we can get there. We can, we can all of a sudden, in this unusual circumstances, think, it's about me. It's about me. Why aren't people contacting me? Why aren't people calling me? And, and woe is me. You confess that. You confess that selfishness, that pride, immediately. And make sure you're right with God. Listen, be careful. Be careful. You and I are not as strong spiritually as we often think. Be confessing. We cannot hide things from God the way that we often think we do. But let me give you a third lesson here. A simple lesson out of this text. And it goes this way. You and I need to be close. Be close for we need Christ much more than we often think we do. We need Him this week. We need Him this day. You need Him to help you through the day by day much more than you often think you do. Let me show you what I mean by that from this passage. This text re- reveals a lot of truth about Jesus Christ. Truth that makes him so amazing, so phenomenal, that we ought to just do whatever we can to make sure that every day we're close to him. That we are spending time with him. That we are being, being close to him and confessing. Being very careful that we don't drift away and insist that we're okay by living on the edge. You'd be close to Christ because of who he is as portrayed by this text. Look look at some of the things that that this passage reveals about Jesus. One of the things that it reveals in this very short account, but it reveals that is phenomenal, is that he is the one, the one who would experience the wrath of God for you and me, for our sins. He quotes from Zechariah. We're in Zechariah where he quotes up in verse 27. It is written, I will smite the shepherd. The eye is God the Father. I will smite the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? The shepherd is the coming Messiah. I will smite. The word I hear for smite has the idea of I will pour out my wrath. I will do something violent against the shepherd. Jesus Christ knew this prophecy. Jesus Christ understood that he would suffer the wrath of God because of our sins. He even praised that in the following passage. You know, remove this cup, but nevertheless thy will be done. He's fully aware that he is going to be separated from the Father. And that is because of your sin and my sin. That he is going to all of a sudden take my lying, my cheating, my disobedience, your anger, your flare-up of temper, your selfishness, your pride, and he's going to take every single one of those acts upon himself And as he hangs on the cross, he is going to experience the wrath of God. Where all of a sudden, God's punishment for lying, for disobeying parents, for using the Lord's name in vain, would fall upon Jesus Christ, and he will call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments, he will suffer eternal, eternal separation or hell for you and me. He knew that. He was fully aware of that. He said even the Old Testament predicted this is what's going to happen. And Gentlemen, when I am smitten, you're going to scatter. And Jesus, though he's fully aware that he is going to be the target of God's wrath, he remained in the spot where he was the bullseye. He didn't cringe. He didn't run from it. He didn't, he didn't all of a sudden turn away from the Father. But out of love and compassion for you and I, Jesus willingly faced the wrath and the penalty that god would sp- would put upon him for the punishment of our sins why do i want to be close to him because he's the one and the only one who can provide me forgiveness of my sins he is the one who died in my place he cared so much for me that he took upon himself the wrath of god that should have been for me jesus christ he is not our enemy He is our greatest friend to provide spiritual healing. We ought to run to him every single day because of his compassion and his love for us. There's a story that comes out of World War II. Bert Freisen was there engaged with his troops, an American soldier who was one day as they were going through uh, Europe and the Germans were retreating and yet trying to counter with an offensive, he was with his patrol party and he was out front playing, being the point man, he and one other fella, They were about 100 yards out in front of the rest of the troop and they came to an edge of a woods and so he and his other point man friend, they were crossing the clearing to the next section of woods when all of a sudden from that woods ahead there was f- open firing. a machine gun blast injured Friesen. He fell wounded, seriously wounded. His comrade ducked down, but then all of a sudden, the both sides were shooting from the edge of the woods to the edge of the woods, and there he lay, bleeding, injured, bullets flying overhead. And then all of a sudden, all, all went silent. And he saw from the woods over there, and he was a little bit closer to, to where the Germans were than the Americans, all of a sudden he saw a German soldier crawling out towards him. Some of his companions saw it too, and they fired a couple shots. And Friesen, in his drifting off, he's realizing that, wait a minute, this German's probably coming out to finish me off. He closed his eyes, thinking death was imminent. And all of a sudden, he felt that German soldier move around, move him around. And he looked up, and he realized that that German soldier had the medical sign on his helmet. And he wasn't there to hurt him. He was there to help him. And the German medic, he, he helped out taking care of the wounds... And fixing him up, everybody realized what was happening. Nobody was firing at this time. And then that German medic, he picked him up and he carried him back to the American side, the side of the woods. Turned around and went back to his own, his own group. Well, Friesen thought that this was my enemy going to take my life. But instead, that man risked his own life in order to give him what help he needed and take him to safety. The Americans and the Germans, they went their separate ways and no more firing that day. But Friesen said he remembered that for many years, that care, that kindness, that compassion by that German medic. Friend, Jesus Christ is a far greater medic. He is a far greater soldier in the army that of, of God Almighty. And he has come to rescue us, not to hurt us. And he rescues us from our sin. You need to be close to him. Be close to him because he provides that eternal forgiveness by bearing God's wrath. I learned in this text something about Jesus that would prompt me to be close to him. He's the one who knows what's ahead. As you go through the entire passage, there are several times that that is pointed out. Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. You know, when they were going to prepare for the meal, we read about it back in verses twelve through sixteen. He told his disciples, "Go and you'll find a man carrying a, a jug of water. Ask that man about using his room, and it'll and it happened just as Jesus predicted." We read in this passage. That Jesus Christ said, one of you will betray me, just as it was happening. Judas had already covenanted with with the Jewish leaders. He was going to betray Christ. Jesus knew all about it. He even said in verse 27, he says, the sheep will be scattered. That's what he's warning them about. He's giving them information. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times and told him the time that it would happen. And then he makes comment to them, he says, I will resurrect in verse 28, he says, but after I am risen again. So Jesus knew the future of those immediate days, of those immediate events. Why run to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ knows what will happen every single day, this week, the week after, the week after that. And he knows what we need in order to face it. Just like the disciples, he will give them the information they need to face the next few days, give them enough information to get them by. He gives us the direction, the guidance. He gives us the information we need to face tomorrow, the day after what's going to be on the horizon, what trial, what trouble he cares. He communicates, but we need to be close to him. Let me show you something else about Jesus Christ that says, draw an eye to me and I will draw an eye to you. He's the one who cares enough to warn his disciples. He's the one that knew that they had problems, they had weaknesses. He knew that they would have coming temptations, and he warns them all about them. Isn't that what we read in the Word of God? That Jesus Christ knows our personal weaknesses, our tendencies, and that he knows that we will be tempted, but he will provide a way of escape. He will give us that which we need in order to do right, to remain right, if we're close to him. If we hug him and we hunker down close at his feet day by day by day, be close to Jesus Christ, give you another reason. We read in the text, he's the one who has the victory over sin and death. He's the one that can conquer the greatest foe. And he says it when he says, after I am risen. He makes it very clear that the, the greatest things that could harm us, sin, death, that Jesus Christ He is resurrected. He will conquer those things. And in his victory over death, we have victory over sin over death, over temptation. We've read about, when we were doing the God Forbid series, read in this text from Romans chapter 6, some of this same thought where he says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He goes on, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, rendered powerless, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Through Jesus Christ, we have the ability and the power to resist temptation, to live a pure and holy life. Got to be close to him. Be close to him for another reason. The Bible indicates in this text, he's the one who fully understands the depth of your struggles your difficulties, your challenges, your trials, and will provide you the help when you need it. Jesus Christ, he experienced some of the same rejection that some of you have experienced by family and friends who got mad at you when you gave your life to Christ, when you decided to become a Christian, and they were upset, and they had nothing to do with you. But Jesus understands that heartache. His disciples, his closest friends, they deserted him. He was left alone. All of a sudden he understands what's it like to be all of a sudden abandoned by family. Seemingly those close to you. For some of you it's been a spouse that's abandoned. For some it's been a parent or a relative or it's been some friends who have abandoned you or some who have uh, have said, hey, you'll work for me and then they abandon you. Jesus understands what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to experience that loneliness, to experience the hurt, the questioning, the the betrayal of those close. And he writes, for in that he himself has suffered being tried, tested, he is able to succor, run to the assistance of a crying baby in the middle of the night. He's going to run to your assistance to those who are tempted, and he will provide help. He understands what you're going through. Stay close to him. Let me give you another reason why you need to stay close to him. Because he is the one who will forgive and restore even those followers who stumble in faith. I get that from this text, where Jesus makes the comment, where he says that he would arise. He, at the end of verse 28, says, I will go before you into Galilee. Oh, what's he mean by that? What's he implying by that? After I resurrect, I will go ahead of you, and I will meet you in Galilee. It's the idea that Jesus is saying to them that, you know, after I've been rejected, after I've been tried, after I've been crucified, and you've rejected me and you've deserted me and you're not there when I needed you in prayer time or when the soldiers came and you betray me and and even curse and, and proclaim I never knew him. He says when I die, I'm going to come back to life. And when I come back to life, you know, I'm going to meet you again in Galilee to give you further instructions. We read about that in John 21, where Jesus Christ, he goes, plans on, and does, he goes and meets with his disciples to restore them and to give them the reassurance of forgiveness. Oh, we read about that for Peter's case. We read about it in chapter 16. Just a simple statement that is said to give Peter that reassurance. Where all of a sudden in verse 7 it says uh, that the people, the angels speaking, he says, be not afraid. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen, he's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee and there shall you see him. And so Jesus Christ, though he knew and was hurt and, and experienced the rejection of his disciples, the desertion by them, he said, I'll, I'll come back. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. I will once again have time with you. Peter, he needed this. Because we read about how Peter, he insisted, I'll never, I'll never deny, I'll die for you. And yet when he denies, he weeps grievously. I can't imagine what his heart was going through when that Friday when he denied all the way until Sunday morning, when he felt guilt, when he felt disappointment, when he felt anger with himself, that he had been so insistent he would die for Christ, and instead he betrayed Christ by denying him. Instead of picking up the cross, he ran from it. And here we have that Jesus had warned him and said, hey listen, you need to deny yourself and you need to follow me. Here's Peter. He denies Christ. How did he feel? Horrible. How did he feel? Discouraged. Despondent. How do sometimes you feel when you fail Jesus Christ? The same way. But all of a sudden, Jesus met Peter in Galilee. As he predicted, and while he was there, Jesus said, I'm going to restore you. And I want you to feed the, feed the lambs. I want you to shepherd the sheep. And brings him back to a place of usefulness. Stay close to Christ. Because he is the one that when you and I stumble and fall, he will say, I forgive you. And I will help you to make things right. And I will restore you. You may have consequences, but I am going to help you. And I'm going to give you the strength you need to be able to serve me again. may not be the same way, but you're going to serve me again. You and I need that at times. We need to hear that Christ has said, I forgive you. We need to hear that Christ says, I will use you. You and I need to stay close to Christ, because otherwise we will drift away, we will disappoint, and we will become so discouraged that we will stay a victim of our own consequences we created. Stay close to Christ. There's a story of someone who needed that type of forgiveness. The story is about a gentleman who served in Vietnam. and Many of you have probably seen the picture up at the top left of one of those pictures that came out of the last days of the war showing the horrors of the war. What had happened was this gentleman served in the army. He was a pilot. And he was one of those who was in charge of that very bombing raid that took place in that little girl's village where they dropped napalm. Many of the people were caught in the images of running down the road. Some of them, their clothes burned off, like that young girl whose name is Kim Fook. She was injured. Her back was, the flesh was peeling off. And her story became international news. And the horrors of the war. Well, the gentleman who was a part of that that bombing raid and who had planned it and led it, he, um, he later on came across the pictures and later on he, uh, he had a lot of dreams, a lot of nightmares of recurring and remembering of what his actions had done to this young girl and many others. And what happened is John Plummer he got out of the military service and he eventually got born again, went into the gospel ministry. And yet he still remembered that young gal, that little girl running down the road. And he often thought, if only I could ever meet that young girl and ask her to forgive me. And what happened is in 1998, he read an article as he lived up, in, uh, up here in the northern part of the States, he read about a special speaker going down to the Vietnam War Memorial. Her name was Kim Phuc. And she was identified as that little girl in that picture. And she was going to be speaking at the gathering that was going to take place at the memorial. And so he, along with several others that he contacted who were in his bombing crew, they agreed that they wanted to go down there and if they could have the chance to meet her. And so he's in the audience and he's hearing her speak. And as she speaks, she makes the comment from the platform that if she could ever meet the men who were responsible for carrying out that raid and dropping those bombs, she would say to them, I forgive you. I forgive you. And try to find some way that they could together try to recover and do good for other individuals who had suffered during that time. Plummer somehow, some way, got a message to that woman. So that when she finished her speech, the note arrived and said that the very man that she would like to talk to is in the audience and he would like to talk to her. He recorded later that what happened is when they were approaching each other, she could see in his face his own angst, his own repentance, his own regret of what had happened. He had done it as a soldier, no doubt. It was duty. But on a personal level, he felt some guilt. And they met each other and all he could say is forgive me, forgive me. And she responded in her broken English I forgive you, I forgive you. They found out as they shared stories that she too had become born again. But they bonded and they became good friends and they became speakers going about sharing their story of, re, of uh, forgiveness and restoration. My friend, you have one that you too have injured. You injured because he took your sins upon himself and suffered the full blast of God's wrath. And you and I ask him for forgiveness and then we ask him to be our savior and then we live our lives and we disappoint him from time to time. But we can still get close to him. Come back to him and say, Father, forgive me. We can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins time and time again and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why you need to be close to Jesus Christ. That's why you need to understand that in this little passage, there are some significant truths that will make all the difference from your everyday life. You need to be careful. You are not as strong spiritually as you and I often think we are. We need to be confessing because we can't hide things from God. When we do wrong, confess it. And then we need to stay close to him Stay close for the strength, the comfort, the reassurances, the restoration that he will give us as we seek to serve him day by day. May God bless you. May God help you to be careful, to be confessing, and to be close to him this week. Father in heaven, I pray, help me to live up to what I'm sharing this morning. Help my friends to do likewise. Help us to be committed to Christ And when we fall, help us to confess quickly, to to get back to being close to Christ. Help us to be individuals who portray to this world real Christianity. Christianity that is committed to serving Christ to the best of our abilities. We know we're imperfect. We know we'll struggle. But we thank you this morning for your grace and your ever-presence, your your guidance, your direction. Thank you for being element to us. To helping us day by day. Give us your assistance. Give us your strength. Give us your, your reassurances this week as we seek to serve you to the best of our abilities, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.